0: The following sermon is made available by Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America, located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. There are many things in life that there are two ways to learn. You can teach yourself, or you can have an instructor. Some of you taught yourself to type, and so you do the hunt and peck method. Others had instruction, perhaps in high school, and you were a pretty proficient typer. The difference between teaching yourself and being instructed. Or take up golf. Those of us that taught ourselves are very different from those of us who've had some instruction. If you had some instruction, you might be an average golfer. If you're taught yourself, you're what they call a duffer. Now, what's true in practical things is certainly true in the whole realm of, of theology. And there are many examples throughout the history of the church of men and women who are self-taught. And because they're self-taught, there's always going to be gaps in their thinking. One of my favorite examples of this is one of my favorite writers, and that is C.S. Lewis. And I profit greatly from Dr. Lewis. But Dr. Lewis was self-taught theoretically, and because of that, they are gaps and errors in his thinking. That's the danger of being self-taught theologically and being taught by others. Now, we all must be taught by the Holy Spirit, regardless of what kind of teacher we have in the realm of theology or biblical content. But as we think tonight about wisdom, wisdom is something that can only be taught by God. It's not the result of Learning Well, it's not learning theological truths. It is the spirit-applied result of learning theological truths. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so as we continue through Job's poem on wisdom, where he kind of settles down himself a bit as he's wrestled with the problems of his friends, with his own problem, why are these things happening to him? He knows their answer's wrong. It's not because he's a wicked man. His conscience bears testimony to him that he's not a wicked man. But he doesn't know the why, as we said this morning. And that has frustrated him. And as we'll see uh, in the next couple of weeks, even more seriously than not knowing the why was the absence of God in all of this now. He had enjoyed communion with God and, and now God seems to be far gone from his experience. And so Job, though, Contemplates wisdom. He contemplates divine wisdom. And we saw this morning that divine wisdom cannot be gotten by the ingenuity of men. And thus, the example of all the feats of engineering that miners have can't be got. it's beyond the grasp of men. They can't value it, uh, they can't buy it. Uh, no, wisdom is not going to be found in any human teacher, it's not going to be found in any place. You can't go into the wisdom store with your credit card and say, give me three pounds of wisdom. Now, the Holy Spirit brought us to the point with these two rhetorical questions. First, in in verse 12, uh, when Job says, but where can wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? And then in uh, verse 12, he repeats that question in verse 20, Where then does wisdom come from, and where is the place of understanding? He now, by the Holy Spirit, answers that question for us in these last few verses. And what the Holy Spirit shows us here is that true wisdom is manifested uh, in the works and plan of God, and in God's, um, what God reveals in his word to us. So true wisdom is revealed in the works and plan of God and revealed to us in God's Word. So we're going to consider two things. We're going to look at the uh, ultimate source of wisdom, and that's God. Then we're going to look at the proximate or the more uh, immediate source of wisdom for us, and that's the fear of God. So we begin then with what I'm calling the proximate, the grand source of wisdom, And Job answers this question in verses 23 to 27. And immediately in verse 23, he directs our attention to God. It here is wisdom. God understands its way and he knows its place. In other words, God alone is the source of wisdom because God himself is the epitome of wisdom. Wisdom is one of God's glorious attributes. Wisdom, as we saw this morning, is the, uh, the acts of God by which he knows what to do, what needs to be done, and how to do it. And he says that he alone is the source, the receptacle of wisdom. It all flows out of him, and particularly out of God the Son. Now, all three members of the Godhead have all of the attributes of the Godhead. But in their personal acting, uh, different members manifest different attributes. And the Son, you recognize, is the manifestation of the wisdom of God. Uh, Solomon tells us this in Proverbs 8. Uh, He begins by personification of wisdom, simply as uh, wisdom itself, as this living woman. But then in verse 21... Christ, our second person of the Godhead, begins to speak. In 21 to 31, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way. Before His works of old, from everlasting, I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest time of the earth, when there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While you had not yet made the earth and the field, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed the circle in the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed for the sea its boundaries, so that the water should not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was beside him as a master of work, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth having my delight in the sons of men. This is why John calls him the word in John 1. Our Savior, the embodiment of God's wisdom, is the revealer of God. But note particularly as well his delight in the sons of men because in eternity he entered into this covenant of grace to be the deliverer of men. And from eternity he's placed his own wise favor on men. And as a second person of the Godhead, acting to direct all things on behalf of men. This is why Paul says that in him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. God is wisdom. That wisdom is manifested, as we saw this morning, in the person and the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus he who takes delight in us is directing all things. For his glory, for the triune glory, and for our well being, as the wisdom flows from him. You see, there is the answer to why it's the who. We don't always, as we said this morning. But here, we learn the who, the personified wisdom of God in our Savior. But for wisdom to be effective, it needs two things. Uh, It needs uh, proper knowledge, and it needs proper ability. How many times have you had a plan? It was a good plan, except you didn't provide for certain contingencies or or somebody's change of schedule or something to come up in your life, and your plan could not be executed because of a lack of knowledge. Other times you've had a plan. It was a good plan, uh, but you couldn't execute the plan because you didn't have the ability to exercise the plan. Man, I have great plans. I just don't have the ability to Put them to work. So I leave that to Pastor Groff. So so those are the two weaknesses that we have. The failure then of our wisdom and planning. But what the Holy Spirit shows us is that God does not have those two weaknesses. So first he shows us that God is the source, the fountain of all wisdom, because he is all knowing. In verse 24, notice it begins with FOR 4. God understands this way. He knows this place because he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under heaven. Here in this brief statement, Job is pointing us to what we call the omniscience of God. One of those great omni words, all knowingness of God. And God's omniscience is beyond our comprehension. There's two parts to it. In the first place, because God is omniscient, he knows everything that could be. And everything that will not be if we does what could be. And so he has this absolute knowledge. And within that absolute knowledge, then he, in his wisdom, determines to do specific things according to knowing exactly what will take place and how it will occur under his glory and the purposes he has for all mankind, but particularly for his elect. But the Bible never leaves that omniscience of God in the abstract, doesn't it? It gets very particular. God knows us. As you think about God's wise plan for your life, think about the reality that God knows you. So David confesses in Psalm one thirty nine, "O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I lie, sit down when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways." Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. You see, God knows you. Boys and girls, God knows you inside and out. He knows exactly what you need and what he's going to do in your life because of what you need. All that he will do to bring you in a saving relationship to himself and to groom you to be a godly man and a godly woman. And so is with all of us. And it's, it's, it's also just as true in our difficulties in life. You see, he knows us. And he's measured out to us exactly according to that knowledge. See, there's knowledge and wisdom doing for us exactly what he knows we need. Of course, the second problem with our plans then is the lack of ability. And so Job now, by the Holy Spirit, focuses on God's omnipotence, another omni-word. That means he's all-powerful. So in verses 25 and 26, when he imparted weight to the wind and meted or measured out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and, a course, for the thunderbolt. Here the Spirit directs our attention to the power of God in creation and in providence, doing things that no finite being can do. He not only created the wind, he directs the wind. He gives it its force. He makes it strong. He he makes it gentle. The psalmist writes in Psalm 135, 7, he actually keeps the wind in in a storehouse and controls it by his own power. And then think about water. Isaiah tells us that he measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Everybody been to the ocean, right? That's just one little bit of water. All the water and all of the creation, it's as if God holds it in the palm of his hand. Of course, he doesn't have a hand. It's a way to teach us of his absolute power, over everything, that he created things that we consider to be beyond our ability to control. It's nothing to God. He goes on to talk about the rain and the thunderbolt. He set a limit for the rain and, of course, for uh, the thunderbolt. And God says through Amos that when he sends a drought, he says it causes the rain in one city and not in another city. And then it rains over there and, and not over here. And if, I like to look at AccuWeather, and I love these 50% chances of. I like really the zero one when I get a thunderstorm that night. You see, weather forecasting is like practicing medicine, I think. It's just a very inexact science. But that's, that's the case of it, because the sovereign God is the one who controls the course of the rain and the lightning storm, the thunderbolt, and manifests all of his power, as the psalmist tells us in Psalm 29 in the thunderstorm. So with these few words, Job reminds us that God can be the source of wisdom because he knows everything and he's all-powerful. And this brings them into to his conclusion in verse 27. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it. He also searched it out. The it is his eternal purpose. The it is the execution of his wisdom. You see, that's what the decree of God is. The decree of God is the execution of God's wise plan. So as you've learned in your catechism, the decree of God is eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. What a glorious statement. That's really what we're being told here. The wisdom of God is God's powerful, practical decree. So from eternity, knowing what all could be or would not be, determining what would be, he then foreordained it to take place. Now, you can read this and think there was a bit of a a discursiveness going on here that God's contemplating, he saw it, and he declared. No, this is the eternal acting of God's will. There wasn't a moment to stop and think about it, to plan, no. Our God who is, our God who is eternal, our God who is immutable, who knows all things, always has willed that which is for his glory and your good. He is the beautiful, glorious, mind-bending source of wisdom. And it is executed in his decree, and we experience it then in his providence, which is merely the day-to-day application of the eternal decree of God. And so as we think about the why, as Job has wrestled with the why, as we wrestle with the why, we come back. There's no earthly explanation. It's merely the glorious, beautiful, sovereign good pleasure, the free good pleasure of God. And that is the ultimate source of wisdom. Now, that wisdom gives us great comfort, but we also need a wisdom by which to chart our own lives. We don't chart our lives by the direction of this eternal decree. Ojo goes on to show us now that we chart our lives by the, the, the near, the proximate, the, the immediate source of wisdom. And it's just one little statement. And to man he said, Behold, an attention to this declaration, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Look at those first three words. God has declared to mankind. God spoke. Now, in the book of Job... The last time that God spoke was in chapter 2, verse 7. And that's when he told Satan, do with him as you please, just don't take his life. we have been listening to the machinations of Job and his friends and groping in the dark and Job slowly but progressively growing in some grasp of truth. And now in the midst of this, God speaks. We have a record of what God has declared to mankind. The next time God speaks will be in chapter 38 when he catechizes Job. So it's a remarkable statement here. Now, when it says, and God said to man or to mankind, you understand that this is what God has revealed to men up to Job's day. As we saw, they wouldn't have a great amount of revelation. They would have known that at least first two-thirds, probably, of Genesis. Would have had other visions like Eliphaz, Job had intimate communion with God. We'll see uh, later he knew the secret of God in the same way that the psalmist did. He was in covenant with God. Um, but that revelation was sufficient to direct Job in the walk of wisdom. Behold, the fear of the Lord is wisdom and to turn away from uh, evil is understanding. What is this declaration? What is this fear of God? Now, there's things that you boys and girls are afraid of. Might be snakes, or might be thorns, or might be the water, I don't know. We all have some things that we're afraid of. and This is not that kind of fear. God does not want you to be afraid of Him in that way. Nor is it a dread uh, that the uh, the demons and those already in hell have of God. No, the fear of God as it's used in the Bible is the most delightful um, concept. It's the idea of filial love and affection and trust and awe and reverence. It's the attitude that a boy or girl has for a godly father or grandfather. That you you love him, but you don't want him on your You don't want to be on his wrong side. You don't want to displease him because of love or because of uh, consequences. No, the fear of God couples love and uh, proper apprehension. I can illustrate it this way. Um, Lots of ways, but let's just take you have a hobby that you really love. um, You can get careless. Woodworking. Most woodworkers are missing a digit or two. It's kind of the rule of thumb. You see, if you do woodwork and you're working with all of those saws, you might love your hobby. And you can make some beautiful furniture. But if you don't treat the saws and the tools according to their nature, what are they going to do? They're going to bite you. They could kill you. And that is how we approach God. We love him. but We understand that we must approach him according to who he is. We can break it down in the fear of God into three things. It's coming to God according to his nature and the way he's appointed, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way to come into his presence except coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. Next is the desire to know his mind as he has revealed it in Scripture. And then third, the desire to obey all that he has revealed in Scripture. That's what it means to fear God. To come to him on his terms, to long to hear him speak to you of his will, both his doctrines and his commands, and then to believe them and obey them. that is the fear of the Lord now interestingly, when Solomon uses this, and he you know often says the same thing in proverbs nine ten the fear of the lord 's beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, he always uses the the word that we can translate Jehovah or Yahweh. God says to Job, it's the fear of Adonai. The only time the word is used in this book. but Adonai is a very dear term. Actually, it shows that Job probably had some connection with Abraham because God revealed that name to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 15. And it means husband, lord, and master. And so it's, it is coming to God in this way as the one who is your Redeemer, and your husband, and your Lord, and your Master. And you come to him in that way, he then teaches you from his word how he would have you to think and plan and live and respond. There's an interesting difference here between God's wisdom and this wisdom he teaches us. The other two uses of wisdom in verse 12 and 20 have the definite article, the, with them. So it's the wisdom. But he doesn't use that here. God's wisdom is absolute. This is now an imparted wisdom that God is going to give to us through the revelation of his word. And the consequence of that wisdom is we're going to do what? We have understanding. We turn away from evil. You remember how God described Job, the last two things? He feared God and he turned away from evil. Job was a wise man. He's beginning to understand now uh, what it means to walk uh, before God. And so, always if you fear God, then you're not going to want to displease him. And you're going to be aware, as we read in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, And as Paul will also write in Romans chapter 14, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We'll give an answer done in the deeds of the flesh. This was Calvin's motto, his life lived before God. Aware that you live your life before God. You think before God. You speak before God. You act before God. No one else needs to know what you're doing. But you do it before God and you give an answer to God for the deeds done in the flesh. All the more the need for us to be clothed in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only safe place for us who will give an answer to God for the deeds done in the flesh. Now we all need wisdom, don't we? You boys and girls, you young people need wisdom. You all have an advantage that many of us here tonight didn't have. We were not reared in Christian families and uh, it had been nice that there were a wisdom store. Uh, wisdom came hard to me came hard to many of us here tonight, but it doesn 't have to come hard. Do you understand that? that we all need wisdom to be godly men and women, boys and girls, to be godly husbands and wives and parents and uh, all the callings that God's before us, many of you preparing for the ministry, you need this wisdom of God to be able to uh, serve him appropriately. And here, God promises us wisdom. God reveals that he is the source of wisdom in his, his person, his attributes, his decree. And he reveals wisdom to us in his word. Two very practical lessons then. Two things about wisdom. The Spirit would have us to come to things that, to some degree, Job came to. And the first is, he must learn to be content with these holy purposes of God. We trace them out. They're wise, all according to his knowledge and his power, that make mistakes. And so, he has a plan for each one of you. You're living in the midst of that plan. And it's not always a pleasant plan. Job's wasn't very pleasant, was it? But it was God's plan, which meant it was the best plan. And we must beware not to try to get behind the scenes in God's plan, try to figure out what is inscrutable. Remember what Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, the things revealed to us and our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of the law. Now, you know much more than Job did. You've got much more revelation, and so you know many more answers. Uh, You know the answer to Job's problem. And and as we work through this, you've seen that there's ways that we can examine our own trials. We can see, is God chasing me? If so, it'll be obvious, the thing in your life, it'll be very clear to what's happening in your troubles. But it might just be pruning you. He might be using you as an example as he was Job. And you can know these things, but then you have to stop. If you've examined what the Bible tells you to examine, then at that point you have to say, it is God. He always does what is right. So don't become discontent. Don't be restless. Don't be trying to get behind this and, and spend all this energy. What in the world is God doing? He'll let you know in time if you need to know. But what you do know is that he is the all-wise God. And he has this decree And it's a beautiful and glorious decree Just keep in mind everything is for his glory, which I hope you want above everything else. But it's for your good. You see, there's no disparity between God's glory and your good because he's glorified in what he does in your life for your good. So that's the first practical lesson. Content with the answers. Don't restlessly or uh, discontentedly press where God would not have you to go. But the second practical lesson is learn the fear of God from searching the Scriptures prayerfully and accepting then what He reveals to each one of you. We're not on the same level. And so we each are to prayerfully study the Scriptures to know what we're to believe concerning God and how we're to live, how we're to obey Him. You see, that's wisdom, what we think and how we live. But the beautiful thing is, is the more you study Scripture and live by what you know, the more you will know. Jesus said about the Pharisees, they couldn't know anything. They all wanted their own glory. You go and you either push back against what God's teaching you or you're deliberately not keeping a commandment or you're murmuring against the commandment. I can assure you, you're not going to grow in wisdom below on that point. You're just stuck as long as you're there. No, we live with what we have by obeying and believing what we've been given. But this is a great principle of Bible study. The more you believe what you've been taught in Scripture, the more you seek to practice what you've been taught in Scripture, the more your grasp will grow. Paul hints at this in in Philippians 3, 15 and 16. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, he means a mature and we all want to be mature Christians, have this attitude that he's just taught. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard which we've attained. Live by the light that you have. Live by the standard that you've attained. If you don't live by the light that you have, then God will take that light away from you, and you will not make any progress. But if you live by the light that you have, you live by the standard that God has caused you to understand, then you will continue to grow in grace and in wisdom. And as we grow from grace to grace and glory to glory, we increasingly become more Christ like as His Spirit, who is the great powerful spiritual source of the application of wisdom, applies these things to us. May it be said of every one of us, from a young person to the oldest one here tonight, which I guess is I, may we be known as God-fearers? That used to be a very common way to talk about Christians. May God grant that you and I be known as God-fearers. Amen. Glorious and holy God, you who have foreordained all that comes to pass in the execution of this most glorious wisdom by your perfect knowledge and power. We bless you, Lord, for our lives rests cradled in this glorious truth that whatever, that you're in heaven and whatever you will comes to pass. And it's always, always for your glory and our good. Make us content, Lord, with where we are in our lives with you. Not comparing ourselves with what others have or groaning about what we don't have, but content, Lord. But make us earnest to know more. May we never be satisfied with the attainment that we've had in your word. But may we truly, the one thing that we can covet is to know more of you and more of your word. And so grant that to us for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cacheville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.